Hi everybody, just before we start this week's show, we know that Christmas is on the way and if you are hoping to do any Christmas shopping for the fish fan in your life, then we have some last minute recommendations that will save your bacon and save Christmas. Yes, my first bacon saving recommendation is that you buy two books immediately by The Sanctuary by some randomer called Andrew Hunter Murray. Yes, genuinely is pretty. That's, yeah, that's this guy. Look, I, it goes against all my principles to say this. I don't even necessarily like the guy, but it really is a brilliant book. It's got amazing reviews. It's gripping. It's about this remote island owned by a mysterious billionaire. It's a very twisty, turny thriller. It's fantastic. And once you've done that, Go and buy The Theory of Everything Else by a certain Dan Schreiber. Mm. Very different kind of book. It's like getting inside Dan Schreiber's head, but in a really fun way. It's not as chaotic as you'd imagine. It's full of the amazing theories that geniuses have come up with that you definitely won't have heard of. It's a fascinating fact on every in every paragraph, basically. So get those. Absolutely. And alternatively, you can get Christmas goodies from no such thing as a fish.com. We have just launched two new t-shirts along with lovely pin badges. You can identify other fish listeners in the wild slash public by getting yourself one of these two things. There's also our lovely tour book from the recent tour we've just finished, which is a complete history and demonology and future guide to fish and all its iterations. They're all so much fun and you can get them at no such thing as a fish.com. Yep, that's right. And now we will cease flogging presents to you and say (laughs) on with the show. On with the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Anna Tashinsky, and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in a particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Anna My fact this week is that many of the Muppets were designed and created by someone called Kermit Love, who had absolutely nothing to do with Kermit the Frog. (laughs) (laughs) When you say he had nothing to do with Kermit the Frog, that's literal. It's not figuratively, I will have nothing to do with Kermit the Frog. No, they had huge beef from the start. Yeah, yeah, big falling out. I think huge beef was Mr. (laughs) Snuffleupagus. No, he just he wasn't involved in the making of him. So Kermit Love was a designer and builder of Muppets. He most famous probably for doing Big Bird yeah. was his big hit. But you know, lots of the other ones, Snuffleupagus, I think, Oscar the Grouch, the Cookie Monster. But Kermit was created about ten years before he even thought about joining the Muppets. And they're just both called Kermit, which I think just must have been a more common name. It was, Mark. And it was. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because there was one of the presents had a son called Kermit, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Was Kermit oh, Rose. Right. Theodore Roosevelt, I think yeah, so. Yeah, Theodore yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think he designed Big Bird. I think he helped to create the design. So there was a sort of right. drawing and he was, they couldn't make it work. And it, it just wow. so many design flaws in it. So they needed Kermit Co-designed. to come in. Co-designed. He, oh, what, well, what he, designed, he designed. He manufactured, the, I guess. Mm. Is Basically, Jim Henson would draw what he wanted wanted yeah. i guess and then he'd give it to people like kermit love who was the main person on big bird and say can you make this and then he'd try and make it as close as possible yeah. i suppose and one thing about kermit love was that he had all this amazing experience of puppets and costumes before he joined the muppet show obviously mm. so one of the things he'd worked on was spangling the girls at the paris lido so wow. ballet that's and- a euphemism isn't it <laughs> <laughs> where were you last night were you spangling the girls at the paris lido <laughs> Lido as well. It's such a weird word in English, but um, and what then, are the li- Lido? It's quite a common saying, word. Yeah, Lido is very common word. I don't think that it was an open air swimming pool. No, right? that's no, no, confusing. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so also- he's not spanking girls who are paying five pounds for a swim. No, no, he's- no, exactly. No, he he was working with ballet dancers a lot of the time. So he worked for the New York City Ballet, and he specialised there on turning humans into half puppets. Oh, so that was a big he? part of his And of course, that's what work. Big Bird is, right? Right. It's yeah. half, half human, half puppet. <laughs> Unlike the other Muppets that are kind of actual classic puppets. Exactly. Oh, well, Big Bird because there's a human inside, you yeah. mean? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, Dan. No, you're right. <laughs> Sorry. I think when the character dies one day, Big Bird, they should do a live autopsy and all the Muppets freak out when they find a human <laughs> inside. God. Um, the, the design that Henson sent apparently didn't have feathers. Kermit Love added those. 
Um, but what? that's weird, isn't it, to have a bird without any feathers? Yeah, like, I'm trying to think weird. of any actual birds without feathers. I don't think there are any. A pterodactyl, I, did... I suppose, is the early. Uh, no, you know, I think... A pterodactyl I... isn't a bird. No. Dinosaurs are birds, and yet pterodactyls aren't. That's the weird so, thing. I guess think of Cookie Monster, right? Like, I know he's not feathered, <laughs> but the material could look. I could imagine a big bird with that kind of felt material or whatever it is. What that I they wondered use is. That... The one birds that don't have feathers is really, really young fledgling or pre fledglings, like oh, little yeah. chicks, right? Mm. So maybe he's a really baby, that big bird, and he will grow up into something even bigger. Yeah, that's oh. good. Is he quite, does he seem quite immature? Because I've never actually he's seen He's actually six years old, he's isn't six he? Six years old. I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's an amazing detail that um, that Kermit Love went overseas to China uh, for a filming and they took Big Bird and Big Bird, like the costume, because they were doing that, but Big Bird was given a seat on the plane. And because he's six years old, the Chinese airline charged him half price. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, no, what's fascinating about that is I can't believe that you used to get half price tickets for children because I am paying <laughs> so much money anytime one of my million kids turns two years old. <laughs> Why don't you put the child in a big bird costume? Uh, Fly them to China, <laughs> yeah. make it a big publicity thing, which is why they actually did this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You need more publicity. That's what. That's, that's what we're that's what I need. Um, Big Bird is in a way the opposite of Tinky Winky. Oh yeah. Okay. The... Can you work out why? Well, Tinky Winky, giant purple Teletubby, yep. famously gay, yep. carries a handbag, yep. TV on his stomach. Thank you. Oh, TV on is it? You did all the legwork, James, and Anna, Anna just came in. Came in at the end. I think uh, I know Teletubbies too well because they all have TVs on their stomachs. And I was going about what differentiates right. him from yes. the other Teletubbies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really sorry. I should have said the opposite of a Teletubby. Yeah. But it's that where Tinky Winky has a TV on the outside of his stomach, Big Bird has a TV on the inside of his stomach. Really? For the puppeteer to see what he's doing. Wow. Oh, that he that just makes needs sense. basically, and it's 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 below. It's a small TV monitor, and he just has to look down at what is going on on the monitor to That's see what's so going cool. on outside. What I found, because I read that as well, but what I read didn't go into any more details. It said so he could see the set. And yeah. I couldn't work out whether the TV would be giving you a projection from Big Bird's eyes, in which case you'd have to have cameras in his eyes, which <laughs> yeah. I don't think he does, yeah. or you're seeing the actual set, as in you're seeing yourself from like the third person. Good call. I think so. And that must be difficult, right? Yeah. To, to know where to walk if you're seeing yourself on TV. Yeah, you'd have, yes. to, left, you'd have to invert left and right, wouldn't you? Uh, that's probably the least of your problems. <laughs> I don't know, really. But it's yeah. like, like being wow. a ghost when you, you know, when you leave your own body after you die and then you look back at it. Oh, yeah. But then yes. you can't, you don't, it's not you have to control your body then so you don't have the difficulty that's why ghosts always walk through walls because they don't know which way they're going and they're like oh shit just walk through a wall um, just very quickly back to Kermit Love so one of the innovations that he brought to the design of Big Bird was molting so Ooh. he allowed for the feathers to drop off Big Bird so it looked like I don't know like they were real feathers that could, yeah, could fall sense, off which right? is yeah really really it nice look real. and he used 6,000 dyed feathers um, from a domestic white turkey uh, not a single one uh, <laughs> like, you know, uh, in order to make the suit oh initially. the suit's made of actual turkey feathers I think, feathers. In, the, I think in the initial period That's it's probably very different now uh, Kermit Love he uh, usually spoke with a fake English accent yeah. uh, sometimes with a fake French accent I do, I do the fake English accent thing. Like, yeah, you're yeah, actually, where are you from? I'm from, I'm from Guatemala. Yeah, right. And like, how do they speak normally? Okay, well, I, I'm not going to give You can't break character He made Big Bird with a guy called Christopher Lyle, yeah. who he was in a relationship with for over 50 years. So mm. I th I think from before he they started making Big Bird together, right? Until yeah. Kermit died in 2008. Yeah. Christopher Lyle was in the um, pilot for the Muppet Show. Yeah. Really? So like right at the very, very... Right yeah, yeah. Wow. I looked at his IMDb because I thought, oh, what a cool guy. He seems like Chris Lyle. And it led me to a fact that I didn't know, which is there were two pilots for The Muppet Show. So one, very kid-friendly. The second pilot was called The Muppet Show, Sex and Violence. <laughs> that was the second ever Muppet pilot. And and did you see what it was about? I, I couldn't find too much information on it, actually. Well, um, it was a parody of the fact that there was starting to get lots of sex and violence on television, so people were complaining. Mm. And so they were parodying lots of different things that were happening on TV at the time. Okay, yeah. right. So it's not fully... It wasn't... Not, there wasn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still on an Still sounds title. like it's not for six-year-olds. <laughs> Big Bird wasn't banging Mr. Snumbleoffice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'd expect. The feathers were flying. <laughs> yeah. um, the other thing is how physically injurious it is to be a Muppeteer. Oh, One really? of the yeah. yeah, yeah. And this is partly because of something. Oh, oh, I've got another another quiz link. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you just interrupt yourself? Then? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. It's, it's going to be very hard to edit around that. You're absolutely right. <laughs> What's the quiz link? What you need to know... So, what we... <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like we missed a lot of steps in your head. Yeah. So, Andy, you need to calm down. No, I'm so excited to be talking about Muppets. I love the Muppets so much. Do you? There's one link between uh, Muppets and something that we covered recently, which is Disneyland. When oh, Jamie yeah. was on, we oh, mentioned yeah. Disneyland, right? Yeah. And there's a link between Disneyland and the world of the Muppets. And the world of the Muppets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I prefer that you don't mention shows when I wasn't there. Oh, <laughs> is, it, is it something about the acknowledgement of characters in real life? You have to talk to them no, as if they're real. No, no, that's not it. I think you said you started off that sentence before you had a stroke yeah. and you were talking about the puppeteers. Yes. So it's something to do with the puppeteers. Something to do with the puppeteers. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, they have a secret tunnels. I'm going to say that's it. Muppet Filming Land yeah. is actually on the first floor. It's about eight uh, feet above the ground uh-huh. so that the Muppeteers can stand upright. But the problem is some of the Muppeteers are quite short, so then they need to wear platform shoes uh, to get them right. up to the level that they've brought up to. And this brings me back to the point about Muppeteers also being physically injured. So the guy who plays Gonzo the Great, he's still going, actually. He's had to have four shoulder operations just due oh, to really? holding up your oh hand all the time and doing wow. a, hip repla- and a hip replacement. And, That's you know, you're so cramped. Funny. Oh, the sacrifices to... people make is yeah. heroic. Yeah, it is. Um, guys, when you're operating a Muppet mouth, imagine you're doing that with yeah. your arm up it. Yeah. Show me what you do. I know I know you can't see this at home, but you've all got it wrong. Oh, you're so joking. Whatever you're doing at home, we reckon that's, that's probably doing, wrong yeah. as well, right? I think it's unlikely well, you've you're got doing it right. Ma- I'm doing a mouth with my hand. We all are. But the key is, is that how mouths move, guys? What bit of your mouth do you move when you're talking? Your lips. Which which lip? Um, <laughs> is it move, the bottom? It's only it your bottom, your bottom moves. So you say you move only the bottom... You move only your thumb. This is what one of the operators said. I was watching an interview with him. He said, you've got to keep your top of your hand still and you move only your Such thumb. Hello, I'm Amaya. <laughs> yeah, that does not work. It's Pac-Man. That's how Pac-Man moves, right? Does Pac-Man have... Yes, he uses the Because Pac-Man's going... Yeah, yeah. We've got an aerial view, most likely, of Pac-Man's Well, why is he sideways? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. about to blow this thing wide open. Yeah, well... Is he grinding along the floor? If we've got an aerial view, he's just on the floor sideways, isn't he? Yeah, but he's a disembodied head, right? Like, he's not human. so sideways? We shouldn't be able to see anything of his mouth movement from above. He should just be a circle. Yeah. No, unless he's from a species with a sideways mouth. What are you talking about? Oh, you think he has a mouth on the side of his head? Possibly. He's an alien. <laughs> he's he's not an alien. alien. He's not an alien. Well, he's, alien. he's not a human. A man implies human, Wait, I think. Wait, no, sorry. In, in later illustrations, he has legs, shoes, arms, and gloves, so... Yeah, well, like, the M&Ms, and... like the M&M's, like this cartoon M&M's, just yeah. like that. Mm. Also wearing gloves. Same, same it... universe. <laughs> same, pro- clearly they're related. <laughs> Wait, am I thinking of the yellow M&M? Oh, oh bloody no, hell, Dan! <laughs> you are, aren't you? It might be. No, I'm pretty sure Pac-Man no, has they legs. Did cartoons as well of Pac-Man, yeah. didn't they? In the nineties, I didn't know that. Yeah. Is it because is, do they have to have the gloves? Because it's weird seeing his hands. Like, a gloves are kind of effectively a sort of... Well, the same as Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah, gloves. why do he have gloves? Well, yeah. Why are all these easiest straws? He's always They're at a crime tra- scene. <laughs> yeah. He's a snooker referee in his spare time, Mickey Mouse, isn't he? <laughs> oh, boy! What a shot! <laughs> That's not what referees do. <laughs> they're, not just, they're not hype men. <laughs> Good on you, mate! <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that the German army has just had to tear out some of the size labels from their new uniforms because they read small, short, or SS. Mm. Yeah. Oversight. Yeah. <laughs> it's an oversight. A lot of small, short people in the German army? Or? Well, not that many, but, <laughs> yeah. but one is too many to have the SS label in their clothes. Agreed. So, yeah, most of them were small, medium, large, and extra large, and that's fine. Uh, but the SS stands for the Schutzstaffel, who were the Nazi paramilitary organization who largely ran the Holocaust. And it is literally illegal to display their symbols in Germany. Yeah. So the German defense ministry had ordered the soldiers to tear out the SS lettering. I don't, I mean, they weren't on display either. It was no, literally no. just a sign label inside. Unless you're wearing it inside out, which often, if you get up in the dark, yeah. put your clothes on, that's suddenly I think that's, a, that's an offence on the parade ground, though, to have your uniform inside out. I don't know much about military discipline, but I imagine... No, I imagine they say, bad. get down and give me ten if you do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty sure. Um, they, said, so, they said if you cut it out, that's one thing, but if it's got important information on it, what you should do is cut around the SS, so just lose the they actual... They didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, did yeah. They? So it's still the shape of an S and an S? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, what important information well, is Washing, the washing instructions. Yeah. You know, what if you accidentally put it in at 60? No one's <laughs> ever read those on any item of clothing. Oh, dis- excuse me, Anna, strong disagree. <laughs> it's my regular reading. <laughs> regular reading. <laughs> when you get a new shirt, oh, I can't wait to read this. Um, can I ask, 
what is the German for small short? Because presumably it's SS in German. Oh, well, uh, that would be KK, which is Klein Klein. <laughs> so uh, how come? Is no, it English? I, th- I think the supplier would have been English language. And that's right. that's why it was a problem. KK is still awkward, isn't it? Because you do feel, you sense Especially that lingering third K. If yeah. you're a really, really small <laughs> soldier, then you're a KKK. That is yeah. a problem. Uh, I didn't realise that, though, about the, the SS being a combination of words that is banned in certain places. Like, one of the things which was in the article that you sent around, Andy, was that SS on number plates is not allowed in most spots in Germany. So, yes, you can't have SS. You can't have KZ because that references concentration camps. You can't have HJ because that's the Hitler Youth. You can't have... I'm sorry. Yeah, because there are German words. Yeah, 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 it doesn't sound like it makes sense. But HJ is also a rude, rude thing. Handjob, he's thinking. What's handjob in German, though? Oh, you're testing my GCSE German now. That actually didn't come up uh, either in the GCSE. Not in the oral. <laughs> I found some German military uniforms which are literally made of cardboard, which is a, an oh, interesting thing. Nice. And it's not in Germany. It's in Namibia, okay. which was a German colony until after the First World War. Um, and there is a group of people living there, the Herero tribe. And um, I, I think, though, like a lot of colonised people, treated pretty badly. Yeah. Genocide, um, I believe. Right. Yeah, um, all the way. All the way to one genocide. One of the worst ways to be treated. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, the Herero people now wear a lot of Edwardian uh, European, specifically German clothing, for traditional rituals and for special days and things like that. So That's if so you nice. go to a Herero funeral, uh, the women will be wearing Edwardian dresses that were popular in you know Germany in 1910, and the men will be wearing uniforms mm. that are some of them made of cardboard because they've been replicated to be exactly like the fashions of that time. And it's really similar to the Bolivian mm, Cholitas yeah. that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yes. And also it was the women who adopted this first. By some way, I think they adopted the European style of dress. But then, much like the Cholitas, um, they made it much more full of bright colours like the clothes that they wore. So yeah, they've got these beautiful hybrid Edwardian dresses and with with these colourful colours on them. That's awesome. Do you know Germany gave Namibia $1.35 billion dollars in a couple of years ago I think it was I just thought that was very interesting when people talk about um, compensating in compensation they said this was a genocide and his 1.5 billion dollars to develop so I wonder what you get in the Herrero embassy whenever you go there oh my god (laughs) (laughs) wait I don't get it so what do you get when you're at an embassy party there's someone oh, going around with a tray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. No, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. I get okay. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Of quality street. Did you- <laughs> <laughs> Have we mentioned this about French military uniforms and Napoleon and the baguette? Yeah, yeah. Supposedly the baguette was invented so you could hide it in your oh, trousers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we have talked about that. <laughs> yeah, okay. sort of like hidden down the inside. So it would just yeah. fit in the po- trouser pockets of the army uniform. I just couldn't remember if we'd... Can I just say, while we're talking about Napoleon, and we might not keep all this in anyway because yeah. we have mentioned it before but this morning i was reading a book about cannibalism mm-hmm. and um there was a nursery rhyme in it and it went <laughs> this apparently was a genuine nursery rhyme baby baby naughty baby hush you squalling thing i say peace this moment peace or maybe bonaparte will pass this way and he'll beat you, beat you, beat you, <laughs> and he'll beat you all to pap and he'll eat you, eat you, eat you every morsel snap 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 not sure about this bedtime story you're reading for your daughter. <laughs> and I will be appearing on CBBS tomorrow evening for the bedtime story. Um, so yeah, they made the uniform so you could put a baguette in your pocket and then you could always do the joke, is that a gun in your pocket? Or is that just hungry? Have you read about how modern military uniforms in America are, are progressing at the moment? No. It's, they're turning them basically into computers, which means that anything that happens on your outfit can be reported back to base. Mm. So if you're shot, your suit will know with a spot because it can sense a change. Are the computers good enough that they can... (laughs) If the soldier's been shot, can the computer make the soldier keep running, basically? Oh, Not yet. Like See, that's Robocop. Yeah, like, like Robocop. Robocop. Yeah, no, yeah. we haven't got to Robocop yet. Okay. But it's, I mean, it can tell GPS. It can tell literally the liquid level of, like, how much heat you're exerting and how, like, if wow. you're in trouble or whatever. Like, it's just got all the information. All the data is now being collected. Yeah. And, yeah, nice. Yeah. And, I, and I don't know if they can send it right back overseas. I think... I um, think if you can send it over the internet from one place to <laughs> yeah. another, it can probably go all the way around the world. That's not on the internet, right? Long cable. <laughs> <with> this guy. <laughs> if 
everyone's attached to the pentagon with a massive cable. It's like a dog yeah, like, Pull them out, pull them out. Someone literally pulls them all out. I don't know how reassuring it is if someone says to you, here's your suit. And the good thing is when you get shot multiple times in the chest, we'll have a computer back home that knows exactly where oh, no, you've been is. shot. Because there's a thing called the golden hour after a soldier's been injured, which is the time to really, you know, where it's, you're most likely to save their life. And there's also a thing I think called something like the platinum five minutes, which oh, is wow. even Ooh. more, you know, like you can do absolutely the most help for the, to save their life. Oh, and you wow. know, and there's the diamond five seconds well, where you yeah, just put I your mean, arm and pull the bullet out, and it's like <laughs> nothing happened. So why do you think the the SAS had uh, so many condoms in the first Gulf War? Mm. Okay, um... is it to do with burns? Only because we water. were once told to bring condoms to stop burning, but Dan's got it. It's water. It's water, yep. <laughs> oh. They took loads of condoms because they can hold about a litre of water each. And if you're on the run, it's very useful. If you pass a stream, quickly fill up your condoms with water. Yeah. You've got a litre of water there. Will yeah. taste quite spermicide <laughs> Yeah. It might be, what, might be one of the strawberry ones. Might get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, that, so that kind of led me on to this. In 1991, the British Army ordered half a million bespoke camouflage condoms <laughs> right. that's a great idea can you tell yeah. me why well sand colored oh sand colored for the gulf war that was mm. the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you so, forget to do up your flies after you've been to the loo you're always wearing a camouflage condom so it doesn't matter you lie down in the sand with only your penis stick out but you don't want anyone to shoot it so you have to cover it in a condom it's the periscope it's the yeah yeah right <laughs> um it's for the rifles uh, to cover the rifles to, to stop any water getting in. Yeah, and sand, and sand, sand yeah, in the yeah, tip. Yeah. Uh, it can ah. be seriously debilitating if you're firing a rifle. Uh, at the end of World War One in New York City, they had a tower of twelve thousand pickle halbers, um, which are those kind of helmets with a spike on top. Oh, you know, like yeah, old yeah. German helmets. It was like a victory parade. They got a massive pyramid of these helmets in the middle of New York, wow. and then they sold them off. Um, but the idea was, look, we've won the war and we've got all these trophies and whatever. Now, the thing is that the Germans didn't really use these helmets. Um, they used them in the 19th century, but then they were really phased out during the start of the 20th century and they were completely replaced in 1916 by steel helmets because they're made of leather, the ones with the spike on. Mm. They don't help you. Really and they're conspicuous as well. If you're in a trench and just uh, you can see a spike moving back and yeah, forth. Yeah, they're no use. They um, were replaced by steel helmets, but they had all these old ones, so they put them in an old warehouse, and then the Americans captured the warehouse, took all the helmets out, and then showed them as these are our spoils of war, as if they'd taken them from the soldiers, wow. but they didn't take them from an old thing. Very clever. And the reason you had the spike is because it's from the older days you might have a big plume on the side oh, like yes. a ceremonial helmet and that was kind of the the spike would hold the plume i was wondering if it was the old ben franklin lightning rod hat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i didn't realize loads of other armies have them oh yeah not today they have them yeah, yeah. so um the british household cavalry used to have a spike uh, the u.s marine corps uh, russian all for Swedish. Plume purposes is that the oh, i think almost all yeah. yeah but the prussian army had um changed theirs in 1844 they ended in a ball because people kept on sort of injuring their horses or How damaging equipment because or whatever. then the thing with the lightning rods was you had the spike versus the ball as well oh, didn't yeah. you yeah and maybe lightning kept happening exactly <laughs> um yeah interesting yeah t- today i think ceremonially only but you would see them in South America, I think, or right. yeah. the Romanian army, maybe. Oh, back in Guatemala, the oh. ten of penny. <laughs> every day. <laughs> um, have you guys ever seen the Landsknecht mercenaries? Pictures of drawings of these. Not sure. These were Germans who fought between the 1400s and the 1600s. They made up the majority of the Holy Roman Empire. They mm. were like the elite fighting force so they were using mostly pikes and crossbows but they also used these things called zweihenders which were swords that were way taller than the soldier himself so uh, they look ooh. like they're carrying i mean you have to carry them over your, your shoulder and it looks ridiculous What's the point? it must have been way too heavy to uh to wield i surely. know i know i think the idea was you you could basically get at your enemy because your sword was longer but i think it wasn't that practical <sighs> okay. in the end you could think in the really early days of warfare 
when all you had was a sword, yeah. having a slightly longer sword than your enemy would be an advantage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then that's it's an just arms gonna, race. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, you got a mile-long sword. <laughs> that was what the arms race. What is not so sweet? Back in the day, the arms race was just adding a centimetre or to your arm. Yeah. <laughs> You'd breed soldiers with super long arms. If actually, you know, Mister Tickle in his time was a ferocious warrior. <laughs> he had to donate sperm every month, didn't he, for this new legion? <laughs> he was very good at donating sperm. Very easy for him, obviously. Um, I would think it would be quite awkward if you're Mr. Tickle, because it's easy to reach things a long way from you, but your own penis. Is... Yeah, you're so. You're so right. I don't think we've got any data about Mr. Tickle's penis, though. Was it? You know, is everything that long and tickly? <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact is that in 2015, the actor Vicky McClure was kicked off the Vicky McClure tram for not having a ticket. <laughs> so, I think she shouldn't have to have a ticket if the tram's named after her. Turned out she didn't need to have a tram ticket, just uh, the ticket inspector didn't realise that and kicked her off for fare evasion. So Nottingham is where this tram is, and it's the Nottingham Express Transit, and they have a lot of trams that have a lot of local hero names on mm. it. Vicky McClure and... Who is she, sorry? She's oh yeah sorry so Vicky McClure is an actor you might have seen her in Line of Duty you might have seen her in The Replacement you might have seen her she's she's the replacement bus journey <laughs> <laughs> she's she's a very she's an actor. big she's British a big deal actor yeah, yeah. huge deal yeah, yeah. Um, she is, yeah. And uh, yeah, so in 2015, she was offered this for it to be named after her. She accepted it. She's very excited. She brought her mother along to the ceremony. She sort of officially unveiled it, got onto the tram for the inaugural ride. And then the conductor said, where's your ticket? And she said, wow, I don't have one. I'm Vicky McClure. And he says, yeah, yeah, we're all Vicky McClure. Get off. And yeah. Nottingham has a lot of trams named after people. A Lottingham. So I'm going to say a few names. Martin right. Polyakov, scientist. Yes. Big right. deal scientist. Mm-hmm. D.H. Lawrence, yeah. sex, okay. sex writer. Uh, <laughs> cricketer Stuart Broad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Torville and Dean. I don't know if that's one tram or two, actually. It's one. It's one, yeah. Shame. Who gets the front half and who gets the back half? (laughs) Trams. Trams. Okay. Uh, Did you know that there's an annual tram bowling competition every year? (laughs) We sure did. (laughs) Tell us more. Pretty exciting. So every year there is the European Tram Driver Competition, which is a competition which sees tram drivers from all over Europe gathering together to compete against each other to find the greatest tram driver of all. They do things like trams billiards. They do tram bowling. So tram bowling would be you've got giant pins that are at the end of a little track and you've got a tram racing down and two people are holding the ball and it nudges the ball and it tries and is it, to it's a huge inflatable ball it's yeah. not your average bowling ball no i think what's interesting is that's quite obvious what that would be but tram <laughs> yeah. billiards on the other hand <laughs> good point which you haven't explained no I'm, and tram billi- i can tell you what tram billiards is what, yeah Tram billiards um, doesn't bear that much relation to actual billiards, but um, it looks like a really boring spectator sport. It is where a tram goes very slowly and cautiously towards a table, which has got lots of scores written on it. And coming out of the table is kind of a channel with a little ball at the end. And the tram nudges into the channel and knocks the ball onto the table. And whatever score the ball lands on... Oh, so it's um, it's shuffleboard. Shuffleboard is... Or shuffleboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. But there are more exciting events than that. Even more exciting. No. There's um, there's stopping within 20 centimetres of a cone without hitting it. Yeah, That's cool. good. Um, <laughs> what, what does that entail? <laughs> um, accelerate to exactly 30 kilometres an hour without a speedometer. That's, That's pretty good. good. Mm. How do they remove the speedometer from the... <laughs> I don't know. That's like quite a technical thing. I think you put some black masking tape over it or something. That's not what right? it says. It says without the speedometer. Yeah, yeah. They have to commission hundreds of new trams every year. Nightmare. It's the most expensive sport in Europe. Uh, yeah, tra- so trams... When I was reading about this, I realised trams were much more revolutionary than I had mm. realised. And I think we say that a lot, but it is true. Mm. So they were the way that you got around um, <laughs> oh. for about 100 <laughs> they years. They still are in some places. <laughs> but there wasn't other options, or there no. weren't many other horses. options. So so they took over from horse and carts, really. So the first trams were horse-drawn, of course. The, ho- mm-hmm. the first horse car was 1807, the Swansea and Mumbles Railway. So mm. those are, just to be clear on what a tram is, it's, it's on tracks, but it's shares space with the road 
yes, at some yeah. points. Whereas yes. the train is on tracks, but it has its own complete space. You yeah, don't exactly. Yeah yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So the Swansea and Mumbles Railway um, actually was commissioned in 1804 and just carried goods and freight. And lots of kids used to hitch rides on it mm. to get from Swansea mm. to Mumbles. And so they thought, well, maybe we should make this a passenger thing. And so that became the first passenger one. Mm. And then there were still no other trams for about 50 years. And, and then George Train came along. George yeah. Train brilliantly named George Train. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he went into trams. Yeah. yeah. And he made one in Birkenhead. Uh, and he invited all the crown heads of Europe to the grand opening, <laughs> and none of them came. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It's Birkenhead. It's quite hard to get to. Oh, anyway. okay. Fair enough. But we've invited all the crowned heads of Europe to our Christmas show, which is coming up in a few days at time of recording. I think they will be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And he founded the football team, didn't he? Trained Mare Rovers. Brilliant. A Birkenhead joke. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Was it? That's where Tranmere are from, Birkenhead. I've got to be honest. Okay. I did not intend that. That (laughs) is an extraordinary coincidence. Well done. Because it was such a shockingly bad joke that I thought there must have been something extra there. (laughs) So did I. Wow. And there was. So James did all the work to make that work. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, And then he started one in London, George Train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, went from Marble Arch to Bayswater, and it was very popular. Lots of people used it, apart from anyone who lived nearby, uh, because there were lots of really, really posh houses around there, mm-hmm. and anyone who lived there had to cross over the line to get to Hyde Park. They were just walking across. Now they had to get past the tram line, and people would just smash it up. Like, the tram lines were raised, weren't they? And it was a yeah. complete pain in the bum to walk around, yeah, yeah, to walk yeah. over, and all of this. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. In 1952, all the trams were, all the, the final trams left London and the tracks were torn up and all of this and this is a cool cool thing the final journey of the trams went from Woolwich to New Cross and it took three extra hours to normal because of the crowds cheering it along the way <laughs> so sweet. and the driver of the final tram this is so nice it was a guy called John Cliff who was the deputy chairman of London Transport and he had started his career as a tram driver 52 years before oh. and he got to drive the final one Lovely. which is just like that you know that Fraser thing where they um no there's a go- so in the first episode, someone brings in Martin's horrible chair. Right. Uh, and when, when Fraser's dad is moving in, and then in the final ever episode, 11 years later, the, someone co- a removal man comes in to take a chair away, right. and it's the same removal man. And that's really? the best example you could think of of someone going through their whole career doing Well, it's the most relatable one, isn't it? We all know it. It's going to be understood. Uh, George, all our George Train was later declared a lunatic and arrested for reading the scripture in support of Victoria Woodhull, the suffragette. Mm. Um, when trams went electric... That, so that was a huge step. They were horse-drawn for ages. Was it accepted or was it like Dylan going electric? <laughs> uh, people preferred the acoustic trams for yeah, a long for time. <laughs> they, yeah, they went electric in Britain in the sort of 1880s and 1890s. And so now we tend to have trams with the cables above, but mm. there used to be under the ground um, that was a bit of an issue because then the rails would be electrified so if you Mm. stepped on them that was a problem so they had this cool system called contact studs which is where basically along the tram rail you'd have these big metal studs and they were connected to an electricity supply underground but they would be switched off and they would be triggered to switch on when the tram ran over them by a magnet on the tram it sounds brilliant they were really unreliable and they often stayed live so what you had to do with the contact studs was employ street urchins often (laughs) to go and stand on the rails and say look we think this is not life anymore but could you just step on that rail what are you joking no. To, this to, is a complicated electrical job. We need an urchin to do it. What? That's... No, no, because they were just testing it. They were literally there to see if they got electrified. And what? how badly would they be electrified? Pretty bad. Like horses would sometimes leap up and then drop down stone dead. Oh, um, why didn't they use a horse? On they, Yeah, they should have used a horse. They were all they? out of work. Terrific. Really. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. I must say, I grew up near Manchester and they have trams there. And I was always worried that they might be electrified and didn't want to stand on the oh, tracks in case yeah, yeah. they were. I'd seen so many urchins go up. (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell you one cool thing about tram design? And I need to guess why it exists. Um, So they would have spiral, old trams would have spiral staircases. So you get up to the top level. I've been on one. Um, Yep. And you've got a driver. That's my clue. Picture the driver. Is the driver on the the top, like an old horse and cart where you'd have a... No, bottom. Okay, okay, okay. He's at the bottom. And there was one step on the spiral uh, that's full of little holes. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, why do you think it's full of little holes? Did he have shoes which he could click in like a Lego piece of Lego? Oh, very clever. Into the, <laughs> and then he's stuck fast and he wouldn't fall over when it went round the corner. But if he's That's, driving, is that for the conductor, for I example? I was thinking conductors more. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's related to the conductor, um, uh, okay. but it's about what, if the conductor is a pervert. Oh, uh, uh, oh. What? So, You're so excited. No, 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 but I just thought a spiral staircase looking up women's skirts. You're bang on. Oh. So this was, but well, so your you're sort of there if I'd asked you a follow-up question. Basically, the holes are there because the driver needs to be able to see over his left shoulder and the stairs block his view mm. unless you put holes in. So there were holes in one step so he could look over his left shoulder. But they always came with a screen that you could pull down. And that was because if the tram's going the other way and the conductor's at the stairs end, he can look through the holes at oh. ladies' ankles. Ankles, oh no. Ankles, even worse than up the skirts in those days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, you know, if you're an urchin. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And they wanted you to kind of stand on this electrical thing. Do you think they tricked you by saying, do you want to be a conductor? And you think, <laughs> 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 well, just stand on these. <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that because nobody can decide where it was invented, there's currently a split in the banana split world. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Some um, people say Croatia, don't they? Yes. <laughs> oh, nice. yeah, yeah. There was also the banana Zagreb and uh, banana uh, Dubrovnik. No. Um, so yeah, two places in America, basically. In fact, we might come on to the, there was also a third uh, pretender, but mainly two places in America, a place called Wilmington, Ohio, and Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Uh, and Wilmington say that it was invented by a guy called E.R. Hazard, uh, who supposedly came up with banana splits, which is basically you take a banana, you split it in half, you put ice cream in the middle of it. Mm. Uh, he supposedly invented it to attract students to his um, to his shop, but they reckon that he did it in something like 1907 or 1908 and yet there is a lot of evidence that they existed before that so right. um, no one's having a go at Wilmington or anything but it seems very unlikely but that they are the real ones You're taking a side here, you think it was the other one I actually think that possibly it was neither but um, certainly <laughs> of these two I think Latrobe, Pennsylvania definitely has the better um, claim because they have evidence that there was a guy called David Strickler, sometimes William Strickler. Different newspaper articles have different names, uh, but he definitely was making them around 1904, 1905. We have evidence that he was buying these banana-shaped glass yeah. well, things. I wonder if we know so because Strickler is really celebrated there. Oh yeah. Why do we not know his first name? I think we probably do, and I think one person made a mistake, okay. and then that mistake has kind of gone yeah, through. Right. Because, but yeah, if you look, in fact, even like newspaper articles relatively close to the time, some of them call him William, and some of them call him David. It's so, so weird. That's so, just, are they like, split over what his <laughs> first name is? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I read that that basically he he'd made a special boat shaped dish. He commissioned these glass shaped dishes, yeah. yes. but that no one has actually got a receipt. That that hasn't turned up, but maybe there. I'm sure there are contemporary reports. Saying. I know for a fact that they were being sold close by in 1905. Oh, okay. Um, well. So I found some newspaper adverts. One in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is fairly close to Latrobe, was about 100 miles away. Uh, they were selling them in 1906, which was a year before they were supposedly invented right. in Wilmington. Um, there was a yeah some from 1904, 1905, 1906. You can see they start popping up in newspapers That's as cool. being advertised. But is it not possible? You know, with all great scientific discoveries or a lot of them, yeah. um, society as a whole has progressed to a certain place where it's inevitable <laughs> that individuals come up with things simultaneously. Mm. You know, and they'll like, be on the other side of the world. Cool. And is it possible? This that... is morphic resonance. This yeah, is, this is well, all cheap rolling across cattle grids around the planet. <laughs> What's well, so like the Dennis the Menace thing of when they were. Individually it's invented. Not, it's into... not like that at all. Well, this is the same banana pudding that we're talking about. It is about. kind of the same. So the, <laughs> the Dennis the Menace yeah. thing, there had recently been a song called Dennis the Menace, right? It was like a, a music hall song and kind of people came up with these characters probably influenced by that. Mm. In America, in the late 19th century, they started importing bananas from different countries and they started mm. selling them. So that was really big. They'd also started making ice cream more regularly because they had much better ways of making ice cream. So ice cream was new, bananas was new it was the time for banana splits to be invented there we go. it's so not it rocket like it's... science just merging them together <laughs> apology, apology accepted Andy. Um, 
Well, I I don't think I've ever had a banana split. Have you not? No, no really? I've never had one. Right. No. Oh my You're god. You're not missing out. I'd never choose one. It's one of the least good puddings. Oh. Yeah, but as a child, as a child. you must have been given them because mm. it's a way yeah. to make you eat bananas. I I read that in the UK they're known as the banana longboat, which yes. I like as well. But I've apparently, I've never the, heard oh, that. Me neither. No. I think it was only in Wimpy. Right. In the restaurant chain Wimpy. Okay. Uh, there was one other thing that I mentioned earlier. The Soda Fountain magazine uh, reckoned that the banana split was invented in Boston. Mm. Uh, there was an ice cream convention in 1905, and there was a guy called Stinson Thomas who supposedly invented it. But Boston has since ceded its title um, to this place in um, Pennsylvania. Very noble of Boston. Yeah. <laughs> there was even a claim I read that it was invented by someone called Letty Lally in 1904. Um, I read this was a claim that she'd invented the banana split and people were claiming this back in the 50s. But historians have since concluded, so don't panic at Wilmington, <laughs> that she actually invented the banana royale, which oh. I was not familiar with, but it's like a crap banana split where you chop <laughs> the banana the wrong way. You, you chop the banana across the waist rather than uh, dissecting it top to bottom. Yeah. But multiple times, like waist, neck, knees. And what oh, do you, right. and do you put ice cream in it still? Yeah, yeah, and you put ice cream. Otherwise, it's just a chopped banana. <laughs> it's a, it seems pointless, right? Yeah, it just seems mad. <laughs> we, talk, we love inventing words. I, yeah. I know, but you're not going to be in a restaurant going, um, I see banana split on the menu. Do you do banana royale? <laughs> I'm sorry, the chef can't we do don't, that. We don't have the crockery for yeah. it. I'm so sorry. Um, that reminds me of when... Um, <laughs> So that could be the case if your bananas come ready split, couldn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I used to work in a restaurant and we used to have scrambled eggs that came in a carton. And so we would make scrambled eggs in the morning because, you know, you didn't have to scramble them yourself. They came ready scrambled. Mm. But then people would come in and say, can I have a boiled egg instead? And you'd have to say, we don't have any eggs. And they're like, well, what's this in front of me? (laughs) That's so funny. Um, Here's another variant of it. Have you heard of the human banana split? Oh, disgusting. You cut a human in half. That's correct. (laughs) Um, Oh, I know what you're doing here. What? Is it the fact that we share 60% of our DNA with bananas? No, you've, what, you've, you've made a huge reach from the fact that I make huge reaches all the time. <laughs> but that makes us a literal banana split, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Unless you were to clone a human and a banana together. That was oh, the original draft of uh, Jeff Goldblum's The Fly. Is a banana gets thrown into the machine at the last minute and he comes out in a banana costume. No, this is... It's, it's a practice more than a dessert. It's where some people throw bananas at you and then other people pour whipped cream and chocolate over you. And it's kind of a... Is it a sex thing? It, no, not at all. Not no. at all. It's more of a prank than a... Okay. I've only found evidence of it happening twice. It feels in, like in an human. OnlyFans kind of thing. Doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sure it will be like within half an hour of the show going out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we'll once have hundreds it... of thousands of people watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once it happened to some guy who was raising money for charity, they, they sort of said, I'll send the videos of your human banana split being made and another okay. time it was Gordon Ramsay happened to, happened to him oh. it's not so it's not like a franchise yet is it it hasn't become a universally known it's not phenomenon. as popular as the banana split no, the no. Original. And I don't weird. think it will be <laughs> so this I think the reason they came about was really because of the popularity of soda fountains right which mm. is such an american thing that we don't really have and they were basically there because people would go to the drugstore and they wanted to cure <laughs> stuff that they had and people believed at the time that carbonated water i'm just slipping in and out i'm slipping in and out it's just brilliant. like andy's from guatemala <laughs> anna's from boston i've got some bostonian blood um, people go to the pharmacy and they had these fountains which would give them fizzy water which people thought was very curative at the time mm-hmm. like Coca-Cola was a curative thing wasn't yeah, it? yeah yeah then they so they'd mix it up by giving them flavors and the Coca-Cola and stuff and then they'd start adding stuff to these to make them more appealing and that's where the Sundays came about and that's where the banana split came about and that's why Strickler was a pharmacist because he worked in a Mm. pharmacy and he thought how do I get more people to my soda fountains he was Um, a jerk wasn't he he was a jerk (laughs) yeah a soda jerk that's what they called them soda jerks yeah apparently it was a pun on the word clerk Clark, oh, clerk. Yeah. Um, oh. So someone who works in a like somebody who works in a pharmacy might be a clerk, and then right. your guy who was kind of jerking down the what the would you call that? The, the handle yeah. to kind of make the ice cream. He would be jerking that down, so he would be a soda jerk. I th- right. yeah, I, I really I didn't know anything about soda fountains and mm. soda jerks. Maybe seen them in a couple of films and things like this. But yeah. there are so many. 
yeah, like Pepsi and Coca-Cola were the next stage where mm. you got pre-made syrup. Because before that, everyone had their own recipes and individual soda jerks would have their own things. Uh, cocaine was legal in these until about 1914. Yeah, often you'd just drop some cocaine in, wouldn't a you, small, for the soda? A small amount, obviously. Right. But, it's like, um, like cocktails, weren't they, really? Yeah. Mm. A bit like that. And there was, and it was that was a kind of golden age of like, crazy different recipes before the sort of more uniform, like really popular big drinks came right, in. Okay. But okay, I, I got like a the few... Cambrian explosion of ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on a slightly smaller time frame. <laughs> so that's the thing which happened in the Tree of Life, isn't it? I'm only vaguely aware of the Cambrian explosion. I just know a lot of animals came with lots of weird arms coming off well, their heads and stuff. It was stuff. exactly like yeah, that. Yeah. It was, so, okay, I wanted to tell you well, a few of these. What animals have arms coming off their heads? <laughs> Unsuccessful ones. Okay, yeah. okay. The ones that died out. Well, here, do you want to hear a few that have died out? Of yeah. The, okay. Mm. Of these of the, ice, of the creams. ice creams. <laughs> these are ice creams and ice creamy drinks. So, uh-huh. uh... The black cow was milk, ice cream. I'll give you that. Uh, Guinness, chocolate syrup and root beer. Ooh, Pretty close. That yeah, okay. that sounds nice. good. Yeah. Uh, twist it, choke it, and make it cackle. Well, oh. I'd rather do it after the show. <laughs> <laughs> twist it, choke it, and make it cackle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, did you? You had to kill your own chicken, and then they put that in. Uh, well, you had to put an egg in it, so kind what? of close. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, but there were also for the winter there were hot sodas because obviously selling cold icy sodas is very unpopular in the winter time. Yeah. So they invented a load of hot drinks to go with these machines. So there was hot eggnog, hot mint juleps, and if you guys get any of the ingredients in this, I'll give you a, 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 a big Ooh. smile and taste. <laughs> <laughs> You the, almost went for a thousand, a thousand points, yeah. but it's like, oh, I can't give them a thousand imaginary points. <laughs> that would be terrible. Oh, points! I mad. thought pounds. I was hearing pounds. Uh, I wavered between points and pounds and thought I don't want to give either away. Uh, <laughs> the reeking smash. <laughs> reeking smash. What are the ingredients? Spinach. No. Mm. Uh, it reeks. So cinnamon. Kimchi. Oh, oh, classic <laughs> 1950s yeah. American yeah. soda Korean import export. Okay, the reeking smash. It sound, this sounds like the worst drink I could possibly imagine. Water, some kind of water. I'm not going to give you that, actually. No, that <laughs> Clam juice, uh-huh. cream, and ginger. Clam juice, cream, it and just ginger. Just so close yeah. with cinnamon. Mm. <laughs> it just sounds absolutely sounds foul. Rank. Yeah, that's yeah. Not, not a good combination. Yeah. It's so, it's so weird to think why Coca Cola took off in an environment <laughs> yeah. where you could get a nice reeking smash. <laughs> Imagine if we were all drinking reeking smash now. <laughs> just very quickly, I was looking into other kinds of banana splits, and one that I'd not actually ever heard of was a Hanna Barbera cartoon. We were talking the banana splits. The you banana splits. Of. Yeah, kind of. Wow. It's kind of like um, passed me by. It's, and it, it's I mean, it didn't. Huge. It didn't last too long. It was 1968 to 1970. There was a syndication that went on a bit later. Yeah. Can I just say also, I wasn't alive in those years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they did repeat it quite. Long. <laughs> they did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was syndicated from 70 to 82, but obviously it's been on TV ever since, oh, and yeah. who knows in this country when. But it was cancelled. Um, so they made a movie in 2019, the Banana Splits movie, and. It's amazing because this was a kids' TV show. The plotline of this movie is that the Banana Splits are in studio and they're recording their show mm. where they discovered they're about to be cancelled. The movie is about the murder spree that the Banana Splits go on, <laughs> killing everyone inside the studio because they're furious about the upcoming cancellation. And are it was they rated- actually Banana Splits? Because I don't know how they would murder anyone. They were like are they? huge sort of... Were they bears? Yeah, they were like they were like big animals. Big animals, exactly. Who played in a band? It sounds like Alpha Papa. Oh, yeah, it does sound like that. (laughs) The Alan Partridge, amazingly good film. I haven't seen that, but yeah, it was rated R, I believe. And this is yeah. So a lot of people were furious because their childhood classic had come back, and you know they couldn't take their kids to it. It's turned into scream. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know when Bob Marley was accused of plagiarizing that. That TV show? Yeah. He was accused of plagiarising it for um, Buffalo Soldier. And it's the bit that in the theme tune that says, tra-la-la. Tra-la-la-la-la-la-la. Tra-la-la-la-la-la. Oh, my days. Oh, That's the banana splits. I don't know anything about Who do you say? Bob Dylan? Bob Marley. Bob Marley. I don't know any Bob Marley songs. Buffalo Soldier. Well, obviously, it's exactly the same tune. I mean, it's a very simple tune, and it's almost certainly didn't plagiarise it, and he has been... Well, people who represent him have been asked about it. I mean, that sounded bang on, i got to say. I'm on the side of the banana splits on this one. Well, a friend of Bob's said 
He was a very serious man, and I doubt very much he had come across something well, like Well, a friend of Snorky from the Banana Splits <laughs> said that bastard stole our song. I, I've got one final thing about soda fountains and yeah, who okay. killed the soda fountain, right? Ooh. So this is uh, from a piece in the New York Times talking about why this declined, you know, uh-huh. because they were huge. They were where people socialized, they were where people hung out, they were, they were a big Ooh. business as well. So there's a theory. It was uh, whoever invented the drive-in restaurant, which then was the next huge thing. Yeah, There's a theory it was F.D. Roosevelt who uh, repealed prohibition. Mm. There's another theory, and this is all from the New York Times piece about it. There's a guy called William Painter. Okay, William Painter was uh, the person who patented the crimped metal bottle cap. Oh, so that made it I possible. thought Willie Painter was the guy who invented <laughs> the camouflage contact. <laughs> 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 Very good. Sorry. Sorry. As you were saying. What's the word? Sorry, what is that? You know the crimped metal bottle cap, like on a glass bottle of Coke. Yeah. That bottle cap is yeah. metal, but it's also got, got this it. kind of, you yes. know, like ruffles around the edge, the yeah. crimps. So that that made it possible to standardize drinks. And he actually invented that oh. in around the like the early, the first decade of the 20th, and it meant 20th century. That you could buy a thousand of them and keep them in a warehouse exactly. rather than each time someone making a new exactly, one. Exactly, yeah. Interesting. The only reason I mentioned this guy, William Painter, is because I thought I'd try and find out other stuff about his life and work. Yeah. He invented a load of different things, including, and I can find no more details about this, an ejector seat for trains. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> like, and it doesn't say whether it's for the driver or for the passengers. <laughs> Must be the driver. <laughs> every single passenger. Wow. You see them flying into the air, 300 people. Um, one last thing. Yeah. Did you know that Liz Truss's mum used to regularly dress up as a banana? <laughs> um, no. Yes. Yeah, remind us, sorry, remind us of who Liz yes, Truss is. Sorry. <laughs> For any international or British listeners, um, Liz Truss was the person who was momentarily Prime Minister of the country a very short while ago. And she's the second most successful member of her family by the sound of things. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, this actually came out in a book that was famously released, a book that's called Out of the Blue. Well, it was called Out of the Blue, the inside story of Liz Truss and her explosive rise to power. And it had to be retitled, oh, yeah, yeah. that book, Out of the Blue, the inside story of the unexpected rise and rapid fall of Liz Truss. <laughs> Um, But yeah, her mum was a big campaigner for various things. Um, So she moved to Eastern Europe in the 1970s to try out life under communism, for instance. Yeah. And um, she wanted to promote fair trade in Leeds in the 1970s. And she did this by making herself a bright yellow banana costume. And... um, Wandering around in it. Wow. And Liz Truss would say she'd go into the supermarket and the kids would be she like, saw your mum just Truss not again. bring this up? If she brought that up, yeah, I would be Because she kept saying she was from Leeds. She couldn't stop saying she went to school in Leeds. I think I'd be saying my mum used to dress as a banana. Do you think you it? would? I think that's really on the cusp of is it going to work or is it going to ruin, ruin I me? I suppose the Tory voters are not going to love the idea that she was going to live under communist governments <laughs> in Eastern Europe. You could leave out that part. Yeah. Or interested in fair trade. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Liz, Liz Truss, she admired Margaret Thatcher, didn't she? Mm-hmm. And Thatcher used to work in ice cream. Oh, yeah. So if her mum got together with Thatcher, we could have had a banana split. A human banana split. Yes. Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At James Harkin. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And Anna. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All the previous episodes are up there, so do check them out. Also, bits of merch are up there. If you want to get some in time for Christmas, do it now. Uh, otherwise, just come back here next week where we will have another episode waiting for you of No Such Thing as a Fish. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.